And in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Investment Property Income Podcast. My name is Jeff Eady. Joining me today, as always, is the beer to my Oktoberfest, Mr. Jonathan Tilger, one of Canada's top mortgage brokers. Jonathan, how are you today, sir? Uh, swimming around in a nice in a nice jug right now. How about yourself? You always got to make it weird. <laughs> well, you went with the beer, so I got to do something to, to throw on the beer. I am fantastic. And, uh, you know, normally I have an intro that I have to read from somebody, but I'm going to do my best to recall everything we spoke about a couple of days ago. We have a really special guest uh, joining us today from uh, Florida. I forget which part, but uh, I'm sure he'll fill us in on that. He uh, started a very short time ago. He's a young gentleman, if I'm not, if not mistaken, he's only 21 years old uh, and owns now seven rental properties running the Airbnb model and very, very interesting sector for me, something I've always been interested in. So please welcome Bailey Kramer. Bailey, how are you today, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, good. I'm hey, we're glad to have you. It's way better than just Jonathan and I talking to each other. <laughs> and you nailed the intro. You have a good memory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I realized I didn't have any notes up in front of me. I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> so, Bailey, uh, first of all, which part of Florida are you in? I'm in Orlando, Florida. I was gonna say Orlando, but then kissing me kept coming up and <laughs> close <sighs> enough. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I remember us now talking about uh, Miller's Ale House in uh, or Miller Ale House yep. in uh, Orlando. <laughs> Love that place. So, Bailey, why don't you tell us a little bit? The part of this is is fascinating for me. Um, a lot of times, the, the guests that we have on here are well established. They've been doing it for you know forever, and it's really hard for a lot of people to relate to the getting started part. So, a lot of times, I have to do a backgrounder and talk about that part. But you're really in that phase still. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. I'm 21 now and I started learning about real estate about two years ago. That was when I even found out what real estate investing was. And that was through the famous book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, of course. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody's read that one. I love it. For sure. And yes. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I picked up that book while I was a sophomore in college. And at the time, I only, the, my, my whole goal ever since I could remember and kind of how I got into this stuff is I knew I wanted to finish college, not getting a W-2 job, just being able to live off my own entrepreneurial endeavors. That was always the goal since the very beginning. So when I was looking up just personal finance books, trying to learn a thing or two, that's when Rich Dad, Poor Dad came up. And after reading that book, I was like, wow, this guy sounds like a genius. I looked up, I looked up who, who he was on the internet. Whether it was true or not, the internet said he had, he was worth over $100 million. And a large part of that was due to real estate. And I was like, well, I like what he said. Sounds like a smart guy, very wealthy. Don't do real estate? Let me look at what this real estate thing is. And that's what really kicked it off. You know, it's funny. I, uh, I was talking with our team the other day and Jonathan, I believe you were on that training. And one of the things I said is that it's much easier for somebody um, in their early 20s or late teens to pick up and just go with something than it is for somebody at 40. And it has nothing to do with their learning ability, but it has all the stuff that they put in the way along those years. Does that make sense to you? For sure. Um, you know, just hearing you that, hey, I read a book and I went and did it. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> I know people that have been talking about real estate investing for, you know, five, 10 years and still haven't taken that, uh, that initial step. So, I mean, obviously kudos for taking the step, but really cool to see that your brain was already formed that way. Um, sure. did, I, I honestly had like a, I had a hard, most people don't have a hard timeline or time frame in their head. I knew by the time May, 2022 comes around, that's when I needed to have enough money coming in. Like, so that was always the, that was always the timeline. So I really <laughs> had no other option, but to, to go for it or completely switch to something else. So I was definitely in a, in a unique situation. You know, that's very interesting to me because a, you're in a sector that a lot of people are steering away from right now because of that, which shall not be named tired of hearing about it. Um, but you've only been at this a year and a half. So that is right in prime time of, you know, doom and gloom in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and are you going to hit your income level for May 20, uh, May 2022? Yes. 
Yes, I am. That right there. Uh, it's funny because I was just listening to Jim Rohn before I got back on here. And he's talking about um, he goes into this whole explanation about you have, you know, if you're going to grow a seed, you've got the sun, you've got the wind, you've got the soil, you've got the rain. And you can't blame those things. What, you know, what do people blame? They blame the government. They blame uh, the economy. They blame this costs too much. All of these things. And none of this applied to you because you didn't care what any of those things were like. You couldn't spend time complaining. You just went and did. Talk, can you talk about uh, just your first purchase and, and yeah. maybe how it felt? For sure. So the first purchase, I want to just throw this out there. It was not, this didn't happen overnight. It happened 13 months after reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. So there was a long journey. It's definitely not an overnight success. And over those 13 months, that's when I was like trying to be a real estate investor. So I was doing all the motions, but I didn't actually get there until 13 months. So just want to throw that out there that this that's wasn't still a, this a wasn't... quick journey. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yes, it, definitely quick compared to some and long for others. But um, mm -hmm. that, so the first purchase was a fix and flip property. It was located in Northern Illinois. And so I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is about an hour, hour and a half away from this property. So it's not like this foreign thing, but mm -hmm. I was in school at Florida at the time. I partnered up with a gentleman that I met through networking over those 13 months. And we bought the property for $85,000 cash. That was the purchase price. Uh, our, the person we bought it from, he, he, he bought it so he could fix and flip it. But he had just too many projects going on. He was running an AC company and just didn't have time to finish the project. So we bought it for 85. We rehabbed it with $40,000 of, of money to rehab it. And then we ended up selling it for $175,000. $180,000 or $175,000. Nice. Nice. So pretty much. That was, that, was, that, was the, that was the first first deal. Darn so near can, doubled your money. <laughs> can you take me through? Because you talked about getting a partner. And, and that's one of the, I'll say, one of the nuances that I, I've met a lot of people over the years. Who said, well, I, I heard this real estate stuff. I went to this course. I said I could do stuff without my own money, without my own credit, all this stuff going. But that's really the part that comes. That's the part that they don't understand. You've got to basically develop a partnership with somebody who has the credentials that can actually buy the property. Yeah. So, it definitely makes it a lot easier. No doubt about that. So how, how did you, I mean, you said through networking, but what was, what was the process? I mean, you obviously had, I mean, you had to sell yourself to this person. Yeah. So the, my networking, it, it was, you know, I'm still networking to this day. I'm always building my network. But when I was first getting started, <clears throat> I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Then I found Bigger Pockets. So after listening to a bunch of podcasts and I was getting kind of serious, I said, okay, I'm going to reach out to three people per day on bigger pockets just to start networking. So that was three per day. Then I was like, all right, let's do four. Let's do five. <laughs> Scaled it up to 10 to 10 per day. And I would message 10 people per day on bigger pockets. And I think that was like their hourly. I don't know if they still have the limit. But they had like an hourly limit to how many people you could text in an hour, new people. And it was 10. So I was like, I'll just do 10. So 10, 10, 10 it came to a point where I had a, I had a pretty large network, or at least people that I've touched one time and just met and interacted with. Obviously a lot of people that didn't respond, but a fair amount did. So long story short, during this time, I was attending meetups every single night, Monday, Tuesday. And this was like right when COVID pretty much hit and all the virtual stuff happened and everything in person stopped. So it was kind of perfect for me in the sense that I could go to a meetup every single night, meet more, more and more people. Well, one of the people I was messaging on bigger pockets, I asked him and I, I pretty much asked everybody, Hey, do you know any meetups going on? I'm just always looking to learn and meet people. He said, yeah, check out this meetup. Long story short, I, I, I went to the meetup. He told me to go to all virtual and this guy was presenting. I don't remember what he's presenting about, but at the end he said that he has a mastermind group that he, that he is a, that like owns or runs. And he gave his phone number and said, Hey, if you're interested, reach out. So long story short, I reached out to him, ended up joining his mastermind group. And that's when I was exposed to this more in depth network of more and more people. And through that, I met my partner. It's, it's amazing. You talk about that because this has been your journey for through to get involved as a real estate investor. That is uh, I'm not going to say verbatim of it. That's very similar to my journey 
getting involved as a mortgage broker because essentially at the end of the day you're looking to find you were looking to find an investor so what do you have to do you had to sell yourself right you had to sell yourself that you're somebody you're a go-getter you're all those things and at the same time what any anything involving sales that's what it is it's it's about the networking side it's about saying hey who can i speak with to both learn as well as get contacts to find a deal for sure and that, that's yeah. phenomenal i appreciate that and just like from what i learned is just telling people, because at the again, like the 13 months, it was like, I didn't have anything, but just telling people what I was trying to do got people's attention. And that's what ultimately caught my partner's attention because he came to me and said, and he obviously knew that I was, I was hungry. I wanted to hustle, all that fun stuff. He said, listen, I have a couple of years experience in real estate. I own some single family properties and I knew him a little bit at this point, but he said, I can't find any deals right now in the market. Do you want to help me out with off-market lead generation? And I was like, I've never done it. I don't know what that means, but like, yeah. And th- pe- people asked me a bunch of things along the way, but this was the one that finally clicked and actually ended up working out. So I was like, yeah, I, you know, he, and he didn't know what he was doing either. The only experience he really had was he was a car salesman 20 years ago. So he kind of had some of those like good sales skills. But besides that, we were both jumping into it brand new. And what I brought to the table was pretty much my time and my hustle. And he kind of brought his experience, some salesmanship and experience and all that, all that stuff. The, the, the beauty of there's two key things that stood out there. You said, I mean, number one, it's going back to uh, what is it? Just, just having, having a big goal and a big vision and how that draws people in because they're just, oh, that's what you want to do. Yeah, that's as opposed to, well, I want to buy one property. That doesn't attract anybody, right? And also, <laughs> and also the uh, suddenly I forgot I forgot where I was going with this thought. Um, but, it's usually oh, me that oh, does that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I know what I just the okay. You know what you just said? Hey, yes, I'll do that. You have no clue what it is, but say yes and figure it out as you go along. That that's phenomenal. Good for you. For sure, definitely in the beginning, just yes, 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 and then <laughs> then there's a point where you have to start saying no to things. But in the beginning. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, you, you've, you've got you've got to learn what you need to know. And the only way to do is to look into it. And I mean, you go down down some avenues. Oh, wait, no, that's not one that's either that's not my avenue or that's not something I view as a viable option for me. But yeah, you've got to say yes to figure out, hey, is, are these things that that you can learn and figure out? For sure. I think there's a couple of things that uh, really stood out to me there. First of all, um, because it's a Robert Kiyosaki quote, uh, your net worth will never out out uh your net worth will never outweigh your network i believe is uh i'm paraphrasing it's close to that but 100 percent. you were like hey you know what i don't know anybody i gotta i gotta go learn the only way to do that is to get out there and put the effort in and that's the other part of it is um putting in the effort you said you went to a meetup every single night a lot of people don't understand that when they get into business for themselves, they have that employee mindset. I believe, you know, Kiyosaki talks about it, um, how schools are meant to institutionalize us and, you know, get us used to bells and get us used to listening to people. Um, when people are out of that model, they don't treat their business the same as they would a job. You know, they'll make 10 phone calls a week as opposed to 10 a day. They'll attend one meetup a month as opposed to one every single night. So I think uh, there's you're owed a lot of credit for, you know, being of that mindset that, hey, I got to go do this during the day because I'm still in school, but this is my night. And I definitely did not have that kind of discipline when I was your age. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In fact, I don't really remember being your age. Uh, (laughs) Not super old now. I just don't remember a good portion of the 90s. Um, (laughs) Were uh, were your parents entrepreneurial growing up? Not at all. Really? They were were supportive of me, but my dad worked a W-2 job and my mom kind of switched between staying at home and kind of doing some, some sales roles. She got her, she got her degree as a speech pathologist teaching. So neither of them, no one in my family really had any entrepreneurial, even my siblings, none of them were really, really interested in that, <laughs> but um, yeah, just me. <laughs> what did you take in school? So in, in college? Yeah. So I was a real estate 
when I, when I came in, I was like, all right, business is my, is my major, but like, I need to pick something in particular, in, you know, particular. So I just, I picked accounting first. I was like, I, I, I want to know the numbers. And then I kept switching it until I read rich dad, poor dad. And I'm like, Oh, let me see if there's a real estate major. So I found out there was at my school, which is pretty uncommon for most schools, but we had a real estate program and I joined it and I get to class first day. The teacher says that he's never made money on any properties he's ever bought. And I was like, well, well what am I doing? What am I doing here? Like that, why he's like, teaching. What? I'm like, why, why, why are you teaching? So then, <laughs> so then <clears throat> I went to a couple more classes and they didn't lose and no one lost money because no one had any properties. And I'm like, you're teaching me real estate, but you don't, you've never bought anything besides a personal home. And so I, I kind of got annoyed with that, especially because at this point I already had a handful of properties and I'm, you know, so I was like, I was just, this is like ridiculous. So I actually ended up dropping out about a week ago. I pulled the plug and I said, this is it. I, I'm, I, I felt like I was wasting my time personally. Sorry, you dropped out like a week ago right now, recently. So officially done with school, been done with school for a week now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. let's talk <laughs> about that decision right there. Cause that's huge. That's huge. I, I, I was, was going to ask, have you, uh, have you told your family yet? Or are they going to find out listening to our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so I've been telling them that I was thinking about it ever since I learned about the concept of real estate investing. And that was like too early because I had nothing figured out at that point. I understand that part. But then as I got a couple properties, I'm like, I don't know, I'm getting pretty close to really pulling the plug. And they were like, Bailey, whatever you do, just graduate. I don't care what major you do. I don't care how if you cheat. I don't care what happens. Just get the diploma. And I was like, I'm going to keep going for now, but there's no promise that I finish, whatever. So then last week I called them and said, here's the deal. I am going to take a pause from school. Because I have, how I see it is like that May 22 is like my deadline for my business essentially to, to just fully take off. And I said, the problem is if I take school and I do the business, it's not going to give me my opportunity to hit that May 2022 deadline. Like, could I do it? Probably still. Yes. But I didn't want that distraction. And I said, if I have that school distraction and I don't do well in school, like last semester, then it's going to totally tank my transcript, my GPA. And then I'll never have the opportunity to go back because no college is going to want to accept me when I have terrible grades, because I told you, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be doing this for a cup, you know, for the past year. So they said that they support my, they support me. They don't agree with it, but they support me. So that was, that was good to hear. I'm uh, I'm sure Jonathan and I would be on uh, opposite sides here because he has a, 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 BS is it Bachelor of Science and Economics? B BA. BA, BA, Bachelor of Arts. Bachelor of Arts, and uh, I'm a college dropout myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I nice. went to theater school. Thanks for supporting me, Mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it's a touchy subject. I agree with your move a hundred percent. I believe that I, I'm kind of of both minds. The best time to go to school is when you're already there. But what you've done isn't just quit school and jump into this thing. You've been building this while you're at school. So, I mean, kudos. That's and really yeah, thank you. Very few people graduate from post-secondary anymore and actually end up doing what their uh, their 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 degree or or whatever is in their piece yeah. of paper is in. So I think uh, I think you made the right decision personally especially if uh, we're going to find out the state of your business as we go on here. Yep. But from, from what I know thus far, I think you made the right decision. So let's, let's talk about, um, oh, do you, uh, wait, I mean, let, 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 let me jump in with my opinion there. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause I, cause I'm going to disagree with you, Jeff, and I'm going to disagree with you because not because of what you just said to Bailey, but because, because you thought that I would disagree with you. Oh, oh, <laughs> and here, 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 here's, here's the one thing I don't talk about it very much. I do have my bachelor of arts, but I did not finish it in a straight line. I actually did a year and a half to start with. Uh, and then some circumstances happened. I actually finished my degree part-time. So I, I finished it doing sort of one, one to two courses semester over. It took me eight years to do my degree. 
You know what I love, Jonathan? I've known you for years now, and I always discover something new about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's one of those I, I, I recommend. I mean, you're focused right now. Focus on what you're doing. Uh, but as things start to stabilize, look look, look at finishing, and, and part-time's a great way to do it because take – Take, hey, one night a week and say, hey, listen, if you do you do one course a semester, then you can still have that degree behind your name or diploma. And it's 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 just one of those things society looks at. It does carry weight in societal view, but, uh, uh, you know, not a big fan of school. Didn't like it. So <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> and, and, and I'm behind I, you all the way, Bailey. <laughs> and I, I will I will just I'll just say, especially if your focus is going to be on business, take the business courses, get understand the accounting side, particularly uh, analyzing numbers, all those focus, your focus, your stuff there. Cause that's ultimately what I did uh, was get most of my stuff on as much as I could on the number side. Cause it, it's, it opens up, it opens up avenues, not so much, not so much. I mean, I know you're on the entrepreneurial thing, but, uh, yeah. but, but just as far as other business opportunities, if you want to know how to analyze, it will help you give you the, give you further skills. Um, and I, I agree with your, your thoughts on that hundred percent Bailey, uh, about, you know, do one thing hundred percent instead of two things kind of half-assed. Right. So let's talk about, uh, you finished off the one property. How long did that take? That property took way too long. It took like about four or five months mm -hmm. and it really should have taken closer to probably 60 days, two months. But we ran into some issues with just the construction. We had issues with not reliable contractors. A lot of learning curves for mm -hmm. my first one. Although I did have a partner who had more experience than me. He definitely didn't have any systems or processes down. He just, he just knows more, a little bit more than me. But it definitely, it definitely didn't help a tremendous amount when we were already into the project. Cause we were both kind of, you know, figuring out as we went. Yeah. Well, Hey, that's the best way to figure stuff out is to actually do it. You can yep. <laughs> get stuck in analysis paralysis and hope you get a deal one day when you know everything, or you can just go do it and screw it up. Right. <laughs> I'm a big fan of screwing it up. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just really curious on your, I mean, you said about the time frame running over that, obviously I'm assuming affected the budget, but how, overall, how was, how was your costing that you projected versus what came through on the, on the rehab? Our cost was pretty much accurate, but the only thing that wasn't accurate was our estimated after repair value. We estimated that it's going to be around the 150, 155 range. And then we, we were being very conservative from the beginning. We thought we could do more, but we just said 150, 155. And then we did 175, 180. And that was, once we were in it for about, couple of weeks we looked at the comps again and we're like wait we must have like missed something or something because 150 is way too low 175 at least all day long yeah that's terrible a twenty thousand dollar mistake in the right direction <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you're gonna screw up that's the way to do it sir yeah <laughs> so, so you've spent uh, you said five six months on this project now you're exited what's the next step so right when we got this first deal, that was like, I mean, we, we were under contract on this one in like January and then we closed on this one in February. So we already kind of had some mojo going into it because we were doing a lot of cold calling. We were talking to a lot of people about it and then we finally got one on the hook. So then people were like, oh, wow. And during this time and even before we told people what we were doing and they said, oh, if you have one of those, let me know I'm interested in investing. So during the time, we had a couple more um, hot leads on, on the hook. We were in contract with like two of them. Then those fell through. But we ended up did we ended up closing on one a couple weeks later, two, three weeks later. And that was, I'm trying to think which, which property that was. It was, I know for sure it was a, I think it was a two, I don't know. I kind of I kind of <laughs> have a mixed, I, I kind of have them mixed up to be honest. I remember the first one, I know the address and all. Um, but we, but when, when that first one started hitting, like it started snowballing super fast. Mm. So like three weeks later, we got it. We got it. We got one on the line. Then two weeks later, 
and then another two, three weeks later. So it started coming pretty, pretty fast. So how did you generate, you, I, you heard that you had another, uh, sorry, I heard you say that in the cold calling, you had another investor. Were you just attracting new investors to raise the capital? Yeah. And through our mastermind group, that helped a lot. Most of our investors came through there. Then once we had a little bit more of a track record, then it was pretty much their referrals. Mm, okay. So, so can, can I go back again? This, this goes back to, again, it's, it's linking it in with, with sale, sales 101. It's you kept your funnel going, even though you had activity happening, you were continuing to making the cold calls and kept that funnel, kept the funnel fresh. We definitely did break that towards the end, but in the beginning, absolutely, yes. So what, what happened was, we, so we, we kept it fresh because these projects didn't take, I mean, they, they took our effort, they took our time, they took some skill, but it wasn't overwhelming. And also I could be doing one piece while my partner does the other piece. So I was pretty much sticking with the calling pretty much the whole time. He would do more like um, talking to the sellers, getting the contracts, handling the, the legal side with our attorney, more like the, the transaction coordination. And I was continuing to cold call. Then it came in May. So in May, from February to May, we locked up five properties up to this point. And then in May, we had um, another property, which was our sixth one under contract. Now this was a, all, all the deals that we did to this point was, were between 68,000 and about $200,000. So pretty lower range. And then this property, this one in May was $779,000. So at the time that like, that just blew us away. And that's kind of when we, when we didn't take that, uh, Jonathan, and we, we both had to kind of stop from that and fully commit our time to this one, because it was just like the biggest, most new project we've done. We had a lot more investors on the deal. We wanted to make sure everything went perfectly. Also part of it, I'm assuming you want to slow the funnel down a little bit at that point. Cause okay, at we've that got point, a lot, we, lot happening. Yeah. We, we, yeah. the band, the bandwidth is only so wide. Let's, uh, let's yeah. make sure we get yeah. done what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, so do you still own those properties or were they all fix and flips? Two of them were fix and flips. Actually. Well, one of them was the, the first one was a true fix and flip. Do you guys know the term hotel? No, please tell me. So this is one <laughs> I learned after I did it. So I didn't know it at the time. And it's, it's kind of like a made up word. It's, kind of, it's like, it's a combination between wholesale and I guess like fix and flip. So what it means is you close on the property. So you buy it. And then all you do is like either clean it out. You don't actually do, you don't actually fix up the property. You just like either clean it out. Or maybe if like you need to replace the toilet or whatever, whatever you can, whatever you need to do to make it like, like cosmetic ready, like, yeah, ready to go and then put it back on the market. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did with this one. We bought it for $68,000 doing seller financing. So we put $0 down, just closing costs. And then we were like, you know, we, we were putting our budget together and we, we already had a budget. We're like, that's ah, going to be a lot of work. And we already had other projects going on at the same time. So we said like, what can we do? Should we just flip this, flip, flip this to another wholesaler? So we just called the junk company. They came, threw out all the stuff, and then we listed it on the market. And I had my real estate license at the time. Well, I still do now, but I got it. I, I got my real estate license about a month prior so that I could list something like this. Listed on the market for 130,000. So we bought it for 68, but seller financing 0% down. Listed it for 130. And I'm like, this is gonna be the biggest payday of my life. A couple of days later, we had a contract for 120,000. And 14 day closed. It was going, it was going great until they backed out of the contract. Now I was, I was devastated. I was freaking out, put it back on the market. And about a couple of days later, again, we got an, we got a offer and a contract for 110,000. I was super pumped and that was all great. I was driving, I was driving to Illinois actually from Milwaukee and my partner calls me and he goes, did you see the email? I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, they backed out of the deal. And I was driving. Oh. So, and I, I was just, I was freaking out at the time. I pulled over so I can like catch my breath and make sure I'm okay. I was devastated. And then finally, like a month later, 
we got another contract for 98,000 and then sold it, sold it. So we still did well off of it. It was just, Oh man, it, I'm, I'm almost glad now looking back, I went through that, that experience, but that it was the worst feeling I felt in business in my entire life. When two people drop out and the second person. So after, after one more thing to add to this, after the first one fell out, I kind of got a better idea of like the, the rules of like the period when they can drop out the contingency period, the inspection period. So they, they, they did it good. And I, I learned from that for the second contract. I, I realized, okay, on this day, they're not allowed to back out. If they like it's past the period. Well, so I was, I like slept great that night. I was like, okay. I was counting down the time to like 6 PM, whatever, like the contract time said. And then the next day they backed out and I was like, well, I thought they couldn't do this. I thought this was against the contract and it was, but like, were we going to sue them? No, we just wanted to get this off our hands. So a lot of learning in that one for sure. So how did you make the transition over to, um, uh, Airbnb style rentals? Yeah. Great question. So this big house, a $779,000 house, we had that lead through our system, through our cold calling. And we had a super motivated seller. He was willing to give us great seller financing terms. Like everything about the deal checked out. The only thing that didn't check out was our strategy for it. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to do a fix and flip on it because they were just like too large of numbers. We were nervous that, you know, it, when playing with those numbers on a single family house, we were nervous. It was, we weren't that experienced in it. We didn't, it wasn't really going to work great for a long-term rental, to be honest. It just, the numbers weren't going to pan out. So we are like, oh, what else can we do with this property? So we look on Airbnb and our next door neighbor, or the next door neighbor from that house is doing an Airbnb. So like, oh, wait, what if we did an Airbnb at this house? So we started just running the numbers based on what our neighbor was getting. And because we could see his rental rates and we we're like, okay, let's just say, cause our house was bigger. It had more rooms was going to be a lot better. We're like, well, let's just say we can do a little bit worse than him. So he was charging $1,300 per night in the summertime. We're like, let's just say we can do a thousand dollars a night. How would that look? So we ran our numbers and we're like, this is a pretty good deal. I think it's going to work at a thousand dollars a night. <laughs> so we talked to our investors and said, you guys interested in being part of this. And after a lot of convincing, we got some investors. So we raised $180,000 for the rehab and down payment. And then we listed on Airbnb. We had no idea what we were doing, but we made it happen. And was that seller financing as well? That was, yeah. So he, the terms were 10, uh, it was like 12 and a half percent down. He just wanted a hundred grand down. So it comes out to like 12 and some change, mm-hmm. 3% interest rate and 30 year amortization. But we have a seven year balloon on that one. That's cool. Um, here's a question because one of our guys, uh, one of our team members actually asking about it the other day, JT, do you guys call it vendor take back financing down there or is it just seller financing? People, the other thing is owner financing, but I've never yeah. heard of vendor take back financing. Yeah. Up in Canada, we're a little different. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> same strategy, just different terminology. Yeah. yeah, no, that's, uh, that's really interesting. So that was your first one. You've got six more since then. Yeah. So we bought that one. And then shortly after that one, there was another one that a wholesaler actually brought to us. So after this point, after we kind of turned off our lead lead generation engine, we started just getting more referrals and wholesalers and neighbors and people in our realtors. And we bought another short-term rental. So then those were the, those were the six properties. And then since then I've been managing more and more properties. So I manage now total of like seven Airbnbs spread out between Illinois, North Carolina, Wisconsin, and then I'm doing a furnace rental as well in Indiana. Really? I'm surprised. I thought you were going to say Florida for a lot of those. No, it's just, no, what happened? It, it just, I'm not against Florida for real estate. It's just coming down to the network and the people. It just mm-hmm. never ended up in Florida. So it's no, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> So let's go back and talk about the uh, lead gen system. This is interesting to me, and I'm sure the people listening are like, okay, well, there's a secret sauce there. How, how did you do that? And I, I have a feeling there's a little bit of secret sauce and a whole lot of hustle. A lot of hustle. We don't really have a secret. I can share pretty much everything. 
basically what we were doing is we were first texting people, text blasting. And then if they responded somewhat positively, we would then put give, give them a phone call. So what we do is we'd first pull data from a site called PropStream. I don't know if you guys had that in Canada. No. So it's called PropStream. It's big, I guess, in the United States. And we'd pull lists such as vacant homes, low equity, high equity. Um, those were like, those were the main ones that we liked the best, but we pulled, there's a tons of different lists you can pull. We then send out a text blast using a software called Launch Control. Again, I don't know if it's just the United States or it works in Canada, but the software is called Launch Control. We would, um, so we text a bunch of people and essentially our script was something like this. Hey, John, I noticed I was driving by and saw your house. Was wondering if you're interested in selling it. We just kept it simple. Hey, my name is Bailey. I'm a buyer in the area. I'm looking to buy, I'm looking to buy another investment property in the area. Are you interested in selling? We just kept it straightforward and simple. Then they would respond. They'd either say, they either wouldn't respond. They'd have something negative to say, like no or F you. Or <laughs> positive, like sure, yes, let's talk. If they said something positive, we'd then talk to them over the phone and figure out why they wanted to sell, how much they wanted to sell for, the condition of their property, and I already said their motivation. So pretty much three main things. We want to know why they want to sell and how much they want to get for it. And yeah, we kind of went from there. And then uh, if they're willing to do a, a seller financing. Yeah. Well, the thing is, yeah. So basically we try to figure out their motivation and their price. And we, we did more than just seller financing too. Again, I don't know if you guys have this in Canada, but you guys have subject to, does that ring a bell? Familiarize me. I may understand so, what you're talking about, but I'd rather you say okay. it than you screw it up. <laughs> okay. So in the simplest terms, subject to is very similar to assuming a loan. So assuming a loan means like someone already applied for it and got it. They're, they're, you know, they have, they have a mortgage, right? And then when you assume it, you basically take over that mortgage, but it basically switches names from them to you because you're mm -hmm. taking it over the bank. You know, that's all straightened away. With subject two, same concept, except you don't actually take over the loan. The loan stays in the seller's name. Okay. The loan stays in the seller's name and we're now responsible for the payments via the contract and the deed of the property is transferred over to us. So they, so they maintain a loan on their name without the property. Correct. It sounds like a hybrid of uh, a rent to own. Very interesting. It is a hybrid of rent to own, except we don't have to put any down payment towards them. Like, well, you could, everything's flexible, but it's, it's basically a rent to own, but much more in our favor. I guess but, a lot of, a lot of investors. <laughs> what? But not to own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With, for, for us, it's like it, rent to rent to own, I guess has some, I don't know. I, I like it. I like it on the sales side. If you're going to sell it that way, mm -hmm. we, we tried to do a couple of them and it was going to be great, but they didn't work out for us, but to buy it on rent to own, that's not my preferred strategy. The subject too is, is something very unique. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd say it, it has some of the same, the, the same qualities, like somebody else holding the mortgage, for sure. but very interesting how you uh, you're able to take possession without, uh, without the financing from the bank. Very cool. Yeah. So, and well, the thing with that, and I, honestly, I don't, they're, they're very hard to find, to find someone who's willing to actually do that. It's a mm -hmm. lot easier to find someone for seller financing. <clears throat> the second thing is in America, at least you can't transfer the deed if the mortgage isn't paid off. Mm -hmm. So for those listening who might not be as familiar, when you sell your house, well, then the banks can get their money back. But if you just sell the house and the bank doesn't get their money back, they can call a um, due on sale. They can call the due on sale clause, which means you have to pay them all the money. So our attorneys structure it in a way to, to minimize the risk. Mm -hmm. There's still a point because as long as the bank's getting paid, that's like the most important thing. Banks getting paid their money. They're happy. Mm -hmm. um, but again, our attorneys structure it 
in a way to, to minimize the risk. This is fascinating to me because there are a lot more, I would say, rules around Canadian real estate. Is that a fair thing to say, JT? Yeah, I think so. Like we wouldn't be able to do that exactly that way, but there is a way to structure that. If I'm, you know, if I sat down and did the numbers on that, you could structure that here. Well, a, a big part is just there, there's different things to do, but you've really gotten creative and found ways you, you've done your, well, done your research through learning and just, Hey, exploring and found different ways to get things done, which, uh, which that's, that's a big part is people, well, I can't do this for all these reasons. Well, great, but right. you got to look for more. And I mean, on the flip side, I have people who've come to me and says, well, I've been told this and this and this going, yeah, those things are true, but they, what the part they're missing is what you've done, which is you need to do the hustle. You need to do the legwork. You, you, I mean, you've got to basically sell yourself, which is what you've done. Yeah. I I think your enthusiasm has got to be uh, uh, infectious for sure. Um, (laughs) Bailey, we're hearing a lot, a lot these days and it's really getting on my nerves. Oh, I'll never get into the market. Millennials can't get into the market. Gen Y or whatever the hell label they've got. What would you say to somebody that's that's blaming the market and then you've done what you've done? Yeah, you can't you just can't blame or rely on, on anybody or anything. You can't blame the condition of the market or or this company that's buying a lot of real estate, which is you can't if you blame anybody else, then it's not in your power. But if you just ask yourself, what can you do to buy the house or to whatever your goal is, then it's now then it's in your hands now. And you mm-hmm. have to figure out the action steps because once you say, oh, it, ca- it can't be done for this people. Well, then you totally block your mind off to it and then mm-hmm. you're done. Then you're not going to do it. But if you just think differently and say, how can I, then it starts to open up. And then once you take one step forward, then the momentum starts picking up. You'll take another step and then another step. And then that keeps going. You know, this is awesome. Just because there are so many people blocked by that thought that, you know, they hear the news. And um, just rethinking it, different strategies, other ways to do it. Do you own your own home that you live in? I don't. So I'm in a par- I'm in an apartment right now. That's but I will, awesome. But when I yeah, <laughs> when I when I move in May or June, you know, after this school year is over, then I'll then I'll get a, then I'll probably get a place. Um, yeah, no, I, I I find that fascinating that you own seven properties and still rent. And I mean that's. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It, it's all up to the individual, right? But I think that's a really cool model because it allows you more flexibility right now. Right. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm going to be leaving Florida. So I didn't really, I didn't want to put the time and effort into figuring out my situation mm-hmm. because I could have at the very least just broke even from where I was living, but it's just more of a headache to, to figure that out when I'm leaving soon. It was more, is easy for me to just rent where I know is a good location on campus and know we're near the people and then just stick my focus to to my buying that was just Mm -hmm. the easiest route so um you said all these properties that you have right now the airbnb properties are all over the place i did i hear north carolina uh wisconsin yep illinois uh, illinois sorry i was gonna say idaho illinois um very interesting how you said you manage them how do you manage them or do you have managers that you manage so I manage them to the point where like I like we have we have a management fee just like in any type of rental property. I'm getting the management fee. Mm-hmm. So so like me that so I manage them. The things so these are the things that I do and then things that I don't. So things that I don't do are clean the property or do maintenance. Mm-hmm. I do everything else. So what that looks like in a practical sense is I message. And we, we have software that does it too. So I don't actually do most of this stuff. Our software messages the guests and actually schedules with our cleaners as well. So I don't actually have to talk to the cleaners to say, hey, we just got a booking this day. That happens automatically. But I pretty much, my only role essentially is to listen to a guest's issue and call the right person to solve their issue. Mm-hmm. So for example, all the messages are being sent out. Great. The guest is only going to talk to me or I need, I'll need to actually do anything besides like a great, I'm glad you're enjoying your stay. The only thing I need to do is if they say, this is broken, this isn't working, where is the blank? And I say either tell them or if something's broken, I call someone to, to go over there and do it. Mm-hmm. Then our cleaners come, 
they text me and say, hey, property looked clean. Nothing was damaged. Cool. If they say, hey, this was damaged, they send me pictures. And it takes me about 15 minutes to write a just quick claim on Airbnb. And then that's pretty much it. So like for all the properties, it probably takes me probably an hour, a total of like two hours, I would say per week to do it all. The, the only bummer is those two hours. I don't get a pick when those two hours happen because those two <laughs> hours are when things go wrong and those are always unexpected. That's yeah. the only downside, but it's not a lot of time for sure. So really what you're doing now is something you could pay somebody to do down the road. Definitely. And that's something I've, I've looked into doing, but right now it's such little time. Mm-hmm. And those, those, those two hours haven't been terribly inconveniencing yet. Oh, Hey, you just so, quit school. You got the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Once, once I start getting more busy and stuff, then I'll definitely hire someone on to do it. But until then, um, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> And uh, I guess the real, the real question is what's next? What is next? That is a great question. Phenomenal <laughs> question. So I've, when, when I got into real estate, I never actually like had the idea of managing property that just happened by referral. People were like, Hey, you manage, you manage your property. Can you manage my property? I was like, sure. So that was an accident, but I do want to continue growing the managing side, but only in one particular market that I'm in. And that's in Pinehurst, North Carolina. That's the only place where I want to can actually grow the management side. I'm not going to be taking any more clients in random states or random cities just because the economy is a scale. But I'm glad, again, it's one of those things where I just said yes in the beginning, learned from it and made some money from it. And now it's all good. So I will continue to, to grow that management side slowly. I'm not putting too much gasoline on that fire. The bulk of it is going to be on continuing continuing to buy property, both short-term rentals, if a long-term rental makes more sense, and then also possibly moving in, into larger assets, smaller multifamily in the near future as well. Cool, cool. Um, if you could uh, say anything to anybody right now that's kind of in your age group or, or older, actually more in the, um, just about to make a move stuck in analysis paralysis. What would you say to them? Yeah. Something that I tell everybody is you could buy real estate, regardless of your age, your income, your background, or your credit score. That's like my, that's like my mantra. Cause none of those things actually matter as long as you can get creative with it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy if you don't have a lot of money, a great income, but it's not impossible and you can totally do it as long as you take the first step, which is opening your mind to knowing that it's possible, which will allow you to then figure out the steps to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was one other. Oh yeah. What, um, how can people work with you? Yeah. Well, you mean, Hmm, that's a great question. So I guess for, on the Airbnb side, Again, taking more clients on in, in that specific market. Chances are listeners are probably not going to be from that market. Probably not going to be wanting to look in that market. Just chances are. Um, <laughs> but we do all the properties I've done so far. We've raised investor capital for five out of the six. Mm-hmm. So we're always looking for more um, investors on the deal. And I'm also doing a lot more social media and masterminding myself for short-term rentals. So anyone who wants to learn about short-term rentals more, I have a lot more content. I have a group that I'm getting together and pretty much Instagram is like my, that's my place. That's where I put all my content. That's where all my links are to my other social medias. That's probably the best place to to find me and and see how I can help. And uh, what is your Instagram handle? It is the, the underscore Bailey underscore Kramer. Unfortunately, Bailey Kramer was taken already. There must be another Bailey Kramer out there. So I had to put a couple underscores in there. <laughs> that's fair. That's, that, that's fairly simple, though. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty routine. Um, <laughs> Bailey, anything you want to see to wrap this up? No, I think, I think we covered a lot. Just know that, in my opinion, the, the mindset is the first thing that opens the doors. If, you, mm-hmm. if, you are, if you're already closed off to the mindset, you're going to be closed off to all the strategies. That's Open huge. the mindset, the strategies are going to come. And the people are going to come and the progress is going to come. 
but you have to open the mindset first to even allow any of that to, to come in. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the mentors I used to listen to all the time, George Zalicki said that nothing happens in the real world world without first becoming a thought in the mind. For sure. hundred percent. JT, anything you want to say to wrap it up, bud? Yeah. I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal speaking with you today, Bailey, uh, especially what you're saying mindset agree with you completely there that's that's where everything starts and yeah whether you, i mean i think it was what uh henry ford if you think you can or you think you can't you're right exactly and, and that's yep. that's yeah and, and 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 often and as soon as you open yourself to the possibility solutions will come in ways you don't expect but you've got to first open yourself to the possibility sure. uh so th- thank you so much for being a guest on here just phenomenal glad to hear somebody as, as Jeff said at the start, we've had a lot of people who are more established. Glad to hear somebody on here who is, I'll say, and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, but you're just sort of more raw. You're very much in the trenches, learning, growing, and you're, you're just, you're saying, hey, here's what you want to do. And, and I mean, you're, it's inspiring listening to you. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it, Jeff and Jonathan. Really do appreciate your time. Yeah, well, there you have it, folks. Uh, no matter what the environment is, political, pandemical, uh, economical, you can do whatever the heck you want. You set the sail the way that you want. Set the goal, go after it, and open it to your mind. So, Bailey, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Jonathan, always appreciate your time. And thank you for listening. Uh, you heard Bailey. You can find him at uh, Instagram at the underscore Bailey underscore Kramer. And uh, if you want to know more about us, you can certainly found, uh, find a, oh gosh, we've got a couple of books now. We've got investmentpropertyincomebook.com as well as Major Marketing Mistakes for Realtors and Other Dumb Shit to Avoid. You can find that at guidetothegrind.com. I love saying that. Everybody laughs at that. <laughs> that is the title though. And uh, of course, if you're listening to us, you found us on Spotify, Google Play, or Amazon. If you want to get in touch with us, you can always shoot us an email through one of those sites. Uh, again, Bailey, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it very much. Had a great time talking to you. Jonathan, as always, thank you for listening. Have a fantastic day, and we will talk to you soon.